gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. That. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're going to be talking about B2B marketing lessons from The Office with VP of Content Marketing at Crayon. Sheila Lehar. Sheila, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? We're in the, back in the office today. We're doing the hybrid thing. So I made it into to our Boston headquarters and yeah, just excited to hang out with you and talk some B2B marketing. Indeed. And we're going to talk about the office. We're going to talk about some of the really cool stuff that you're doing at Crayon. We're going to talk about competitive intelligence, business intelligence, powered by AI, all that sort of stuff, and much more. So let's get into it. First, why did you pick The Office to talk about? Oh, so many reasons. <laughs> um, I think the primary one probably being nostalgia. So I think The Office for me holds a holds a special place in my heart. I think I was probably right out of college when it was in its heyday. And I was in kind of a similar situation, actually. I had just graduated college and I was commuting to this office park and working at a small PR agency of about 20 people. And there were these big, giant gray cubicles. And there was a few characters in the office. And it, it felt kind of a little bit like a parallel to, to my life at that time. And I think looking back now, yeah, it's just sort of, it, it holds that place of being young and trying to figure out the working world and, and being in that situation. If I left, what would I do with all this useless information in my head? You know, tonnage price of manila folders, um, Pam's favorite flavor of yogurt, which is mixed berry. And I remember actually reading an article, it was during the pandemic that said a lot of people were sort of going and re-watching old shows just for comfort, right? Because we didn't know what was going on in the world and we needed some semblance of normalcy and we didn't want to, you know, we just wanted to watch something where we knew what was going to happen. And I remember doing that same thing and watching The Office and watching sort of old 90s sitcoms just because it was like, all right, I know what this is. <laughs> and and it, and it brings me comfort. So I think that's probably where The Office fits into, into my world is it's got that comfort comfort, you know, part to it. <laughs> you fell in love with a receptionist, but they had a relationship with someone in the yard and it became a whole thing. And no, I classic story. 
Yep. Yeah. I definitely remember wearing a lot of cardigans similar to similar to Pam. I think that was that was the thing then. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of cardigan wearing. <laughs> Meredith, what the heck is the office? Oh yeah. So the office is a mockumentary about employees at a paper company called Dunder Mifflin and it's set in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Out of paper, out of stock. There's friendly faces around the block. Break loose from the chains that are causing your pain. Call Michael and Sally, Jim Dry Creek. Call Emily and Kelly for your business paper needs. Dunder Mifflin. The people prices paper people. Dunder Mifflin. The people prices paper Time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. I thought... And it's sort of at the, you know, the internet is up and running, like everyone's going paperless and they're trying to, you know, sit and sell papers. So it's kind of plays with absurdity and that sort of thing. But it's won Emmy Awards. It was originally a UK series created by British comedian Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. But we're today talking about the US version which was adapted from the original by SNL writer Greg Daniels. It was co-produced by Deedle D Productions and Reveille Productions in association with Universal Television. And over the seasons, there have been so many different people that come in and out as characters, but the original cast includes Steve Carell as the Scranton Regional Branch Manager, Michael Scott. I've, uh, I've been at Dunder Mifflin for 12 years, the last four as Regional Manager. Uh, when I come through here, ah, see, we have the entire floor. So this is my kingdom, far as the eye can see. And then his assistant to the regional branch manager, Dwight Shrew, is played by Rain Wilson. I'm assistant regional manager. I should know first. Assistant to the regional manager. Yeah, okay. John Krasinski is Jim Halpert. Jenna Fisher is the secretary, Pam Beasley. And BJ Novak is the temp, Ryan Howard. But there were nine seasons. They aired from 2005 to 2013. And I was just looking at news for The Office because I'm like, what's going on these days? I feel like I still see it in the news, which is interesting. Like 10 years later, that stuff is still happening. Like the actors are still getting together. And so I saw that recently a few of the cast members got together for a dinner party, which they said sort of tongue in cheek was was not like the infamous dinner party episode. Thank goodness. How about a toast? Dally? Here's to good friends. Cheers. 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 Hmm. That is sort of an oaky afterbirth. Mm. What was that? So Rain Wilson shared some pictures on Instagram of himself, Steve Carell, and Angela Kinsey at a benefit dinner together. And then I also saw, which is almost like more noteworthy, is that there's there are rumors of an office reboot. So this journalist, Matt Baloney, wrote on the Puck newsletter that the showrunner, Greg Daniels, is sort of exploring some development deals for a reprise of the show. But of course, like with the strike and everything, things were kind of put on hold. So now that that is kind of resolved, there, there could be a deal potentially coming through. But he was really specific that like details are uncertain. Everything's fuzzy. We don't know who would be in it what it could look like, or even when it would come out. So that's just something that could be in the works, which I thought was exciting. Sheila, what is so remarkable about The Office for you? So I think for me, some of it is just the absolute absurdity of seemingly kind of mundane situations. So assessing the situation, Mm -hmm. are they breathing? No, Rose. They are not breathing, and they have no arms or legs. No, that's not part of it. Where are they? You know what? If we come across somebody 
with no arms or legs, do we bother resuscitating them? I mean, what kind of quality of life do we have there? I would want to live with no legs. How about no arms? No arms or legs is basically how you exist right now, Kevin. You don't do anything. We've all been in offices. We've, most of us have worked in ones maybe similar to the office where it's a smaller group. And just you can picture some of the situations, but then it's taken to this absolutely insane comedic level. Like I'm just thinking about when they were, I think, learning CPR as a group. And then next thing you know, Dwight <laughs> is just has the knife and is so harvesting organs from the dummy. And Okay, he's dead. Anyone know what we do next? Anybody? Rose? I have no idea. Anyone else? We bury him. Wrong. Eh, check for an organ donor card. If he has one, we only have minutes to harvest. He has no wallet, I checked. He is an organ donor. He is. Yeah. Give me some ice in a styrofoam bucket. Here we go. We search for the organs. Where's the heart? The precious heart. I'm not feeling well. I need to sit down. And it's one of those things where you're like, I've I've been there, like I've done the CPR class with my coworkers. Nobody did that. <laughs> that did not occur. So you find yourself sort of, you know, seeing these familiar situations and the, the writing, seeing what they what they do with this with these crazy group of people is amazing. And and yeah, I mean, I think people talk about how relatable it is. It's just a group of regular looking people kind of going day-to-day in their lives, but then these insane things are happening to them. And yeah, there's, it's just so, like you were saying, it's just so absurd and so crazy. And I think, of course, especially in the beginning, there was the Jim and Pam, will they, won't they? That was a big, I remember that was a big draw for my roommates and I because everybody loves Jim. Pam and Jim are totally hooking up. All they do is smile. They're just keeping it a secret, Right. I don't know. There is no evidence of intimacy. They've been in remarkably good moods. Could be other things. Are you kidding me? What was he? So we had to, we had to figure out what was going to happen with him and Pam. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I, I was thinking about looking back on The Office for this episode, because we did an episode on Benihana Christmas, which is like one of the craziest episodes. So this one, I was sort of looking at it a little bit more holistically. And I was thinking, when we were growing up, like movie stars were the biggest stars, right? But for our generation, like these TV stars are way bigger stars for us than movie stars. Like, I'm trying to think of a good example, but like Joaquin Phoenix, for example, like if he was walking down the street and John Krasinski was walking down the other street and there was a crowd of, you know, 30 somethings, everyone would go to John Krasinski. Like, you know what I mean? Even though one has like Academy Awards and all that sort of stuff. And obviously like Seinfeld being super popular, but like with The Office, like we just really felt like they were our workmates. Like we really, truly love those characters more than, I mean, probably any other show that they're just so, so beloved. Yeah, you just felt like they were your colleagues. Yeah, you just went, you watched it, you know, or binge watched it. And you were just sort of like, you know, I feel like I know, like you're saying, I feel like I know these people. Because they are just kind of regular, like I said, regular looking, regular acting. What am I doing? I am blowing Dodge. I'm getting out of town. 
Whatever you call it, I am running away from my responsibilities. Arm feels good. And, and yeah, and then there's just people like people like Jim that everyone just, just wanted to know, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and likewise with Pam and like likewise with just like how ridiculous Dwight was and all that. It's just like every single thing, like all the office pranks, all that stuff, like, you know, just what prank would he pull on Dwight next was like the funniest thing. I mean, <laughs> like uh, truly yeah. was. I don't have a ton of contact with this Grant and Branch, but before I left, I took a box of Dwight's stationery. So from time to time, I send Dwight faxes from himself, from the future. Dwight, at 8 a.m. today, someone poisons the coffee. Do not drink the coffee. More instructions will follow. Cordially, future Dwight. Yeah, and what is Michael going to say? Yep. Yeah. It's also interesting that you bring up the, the Jim and Pam piece because like office romance is so part of our lives. Come on, Angela, don't you have a game? I have one, yes. Well, let's play. What is it? I call it Pam Pong. I count how many times Jim gets up from his desk and goes to reception to talk to you. We're friends. Apparently. And yet it's something like no B2B marketer ever talks about or touches it's like the third rail right it's like you never talk about like office romance and like your marketing but i feel like there's so much power in the in the old will they or won't they yeah and so much of that is changing now right with people remote and hybrid and there's all these articles being written about relationships and how work was a little more central to a lot of our relationships 10 years ago 5 years ago even and now it's not the same as it probably will ever be. So it's it's just fascinating. Okay, so what are some marketing lessons from the office? Yeah, so I think one of the the big lessons I think about when I think about the office and trying to pull a lesson from that and B2B tech is just trying to take sort of maybe boring, mundane thing that you're given, the technology you're given might not be the sexiest. I've worked in some not quite so sexy technologies like backup and disaster recovery. And and you're like, how am I going to make this as appealing and interesting as possible to a broader audience? And that's, that's like what they did in the office, right? Finally, I want to thank God because God gave me this Dundee. And I feel God in this chilies tonight. They're a paper company and they're just a few people sitting around this kind of sad looking place, like just try and and yet it's so funny. And and I feel like there's lessons um definitely around that with with B2B um content marketing where you might not have, yeah, this incredibly sexy technology, but how are you going to find relevant ways to to, you know, use content to get in front of more people? How are you maybe going to use comedy? How are you going to use, yeah, just different ways you need to think about to to get in front of your audience when you don't maybe maybe you have kind of a boring product but you know that's your job to get that creativity going and one of the fun things that I've done with with some of my teams is we'll sit around and brainstorm it's almost like a writer's room I think this works really well 
in person is like one person will have an idea. Oh, that's kind of funny. And then you just like build off that. And then by the end of it, you're just kind of suggesting, yeah, like the craziest, wackiest things, which kind of seems like the office in some of their scenarios and their situations. So I think I've seen that play out in in B2B marketing when you just get a creative group together and you're kind of like, all right, this is what we've got, but what what can we do here to make it funny and more appealing? Yeah, I think the writer's room piece is, is really important, especially like I feel like in content, you just need those brainstorming sessions. You need those those sessions to to figure out like what people like, what people are consuming. I was thinking about this the other day. I was scrolling on LinkedIn. Someone posted something and I knew them really well. And I'm interested in what they had to say. And I still didn't click on it. And I was like, I really just wish that you had sort of given me whatever, a two-minute video of it that I could have just watched right there on LinkedIn. And I was like, damn. Like even, yeah, and we do that for, for our customers. We make short videos, we do all that sort of stuff. And even in that moment, I was like that, you know, saving me that click. Wow. And it's just, I think that we're so much consumers of, uh, formats of content. And sometimes like we, we, we just need to have those brainstorm sessions with each other of like, what are you looking at? What are you listening to? Like, what's something that we could create that's cool or different or interesting? Pull it from, you know, things like, the show from the outside world like what like what is it that we could do and those in-person sessions are so money to do that yeah they're so valuable and it's so it's like harder to do than you think it is because everyone's so busy and everyone's running from one thing to the other and it's sort of like well let's pause and yeah just kind of what you're saying like let's just pause and as a group talk about what are some cool sites? What are some cool websites you've seen lately? What are some interesting videos that have popped up on your LinkedIn feed that drew you in? Why did it draw you in? Um, and just talking about that as a group, you get so many ideas, um, but yet we don't sort of take the time. You, you got to schedule it. You got to sit down and say, no, we're going to, we're going to sit down for an hour and just kind of, yeah, like throw ideas around um, and you'll get good stuff out of it. But it's just, I think, yeah, making that time and yeah, it's, it's, it's harder than, <laughs> it's harder than it should be sometimes. What else? What are some other marketing lessons from the office? So yeah, when I was thinking about just the whole series, one thing I started thinking about, and it applies to the office and it applies to so many sitcoms is sort of, I don't know, like knowing when you're ahead and just stopping. And I feel like once Steve Carell left. You started with his company? As a fine young man. You know what I think we should do? I think we should just say the goodbyes for tomorrow at lunch. Oh. Okay. And then tomorrow... I can tell you <clears throat> what a great boss you turned out to be. Best boss I ever had. It just was not the same. I mean, I know a lot of people feel this way. Um, I didn't like the newer episode. I just didn't like it. And it was kind of like, all right, we've done this. Like, this is clearly going on for too long. And so many sitcoms do this. I feel like five seasons is probably... I don't know. Everything should be five seasons <laughs> because yeah, you, you just run out of that, those original funny ideas. And I think sometimes that happens with 
or a lot of times it happens with content and just marketing in general. It's like we've got these playbooks that we've developed and we just go to the same the same thing, right? And we're all sort of doing the same thing just because it worked. And then we slowly start to change. And I, I, it's interesting. I'm seeing a lot of commentary on LinkedIn lately about this kind of relates to, to content marketing, but the, the like the SDR role just in general and sort of it's just something these companies, oh, yeah. we, we always have SDRs and and people are really pushing back and sort of like, well, if someone downloads your research report and then the recent college grad calls them, is that effective? We kind of know it it isn't usually, but we still kind of all do it and we build these teams. So yeah, maybe broader just company and marketing lesson. But I feel like that's something I, I was thinking about when I thought about the office and sort of like, they should have probably stopped at a certain point. I think we do that in, in content as well. I did it. I did this exact thing the other day. I was like, I just kept getting hit up by someone. And by the way, I say this thing about the SDRs all the time on the show. But um, I just kept getting hit up. I'm like, dude, I don't even know why you're contacting me. Like, I, I, have no, I have no idea. And I'm like, and I'm a customer. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm on the team that does like account ex- expansion or whatever. I was like, well, literally, why are you reaching out? Like, did I give something? And so like part of that is just like, well, like, what are we even doing here? What is the point? But, but, but back to the point that you were saying sort of about ending when it's time. I think what Disney has done is I think the most interesting and cool thing, which is take a single character that was really interesting and then let's go do, and this spinoffs are, you know, it's not like Disney was first to the Plymouth Rock on spinoffs, but take that character and then go do completely other stuff with them. Like like Marvel's Loki, I think, is a great example of like, hey, let's really flesh out this character and this world and all this crazy stuff with surrounding them with like unbelievably ridiculous stuff and you know take it or leave it but for the people who want to leave it they can just leave it and not watch but for the like core fans they're like go do it and like if you had done the you know the gym spinoff i feel like we probably would have been more interested in the gym spinoff than in the final seasons of the office i don't hate it i just don't like it at all and it's terrible Totally. Yeah. It's like, show me something different. Like we've done this play over and over again. And I, and I think about marketing, it's like, we just keep doing it. And yeah, I think for the office, they're like, well, it's been successful. So just keep going. And it's so, again, like so many sitcoms I think about where it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe end, maybe do a spinoff of another character. Let's just show people something different. And you're right. Like, Disney knows how to, they know how to make money. <laughs> they know that like people are interested in like uh, new storylines. So they'll go and they'll, they'll learn about Loki or yeah, whoever, but it's, yeah, it works. Well, and I think another piece on that is that a show like Always Sunny or Seinfeld or whatever, they could do 20 seasons and that's why they have because the show structures that way. We weren't primed for that with The Office. Right. Like we weren't primed for, we, there were actual arcs that they built into the show. Um, or like we didn't reset every episode, like in Always Sunny. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter what happens. And so we were a little too invested in actually what happens to these people. You know what I mean? Like where they end up. And I think that this speaks to back to the B2B marketing piece, which is usually people are not invested at all in your content. You know what I mean? Like they're not really invested in 
where it's going or other stuff or whatever. They just want it to do that thing that they want, you know? And I think that that's like part of the thing is like, what is the utility of what you're trying to build? Who it's for? Why are they using it at that moment in time? Yeah, yeah. they're trying to solve a certain problem. They're trying to do a certain thing, learn a certain, you know, something that they need to know. And yeah, they're they're going to find that out. And then a lot of times that's that's kind of it. But you hope that you, if you do it well, you hope they come back, right? You hope they come back for more. Okay. Any other marketing thoughts on on the office? I know we could we could go all day just on this, but any no, other we thoughts? could we could. I think the the only maybe like smaller lesson or observation is just such strong writing, right? Like you just can't have a have a successful show without strong writing. And Angela, where's Angela? Well, there you are. I didn't see you behind that grain of rice. Boom, roasted. I feel like that comes up quite a bit. Of course, content needs good writing, but. But it really needs strong copywriting skills. And I think about Creed and Ryan on The Office, how they always have like these quick one-liners, right? And they, they were just so good. If I had to, I could clean out my desk in five seconds and nobody would ever know I'd ever been here. And I'd forget to. And I was talking about this with uh, one of my colleagues as we're trying to write ad copy. And I was saying, like, this is so hard because you only have this small amount of space and it has to be so impactful or funny or something. You know, it has to, like, you have to get that emotion and you you, you only have what it, whatever it is, like a thousand characters, you know, like just this small character about. And then I think back to the writers um, for that series. I'm just like, wow, they really were so good where they just had this one moment where Ryan was going to say something and it's got to be one perfect line. Hi, guys. Hey. Uh, does everyone know my boyfriend, Bob Vance? Kevin Malone. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Stanley Hudson. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Ryan Howard. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. What line of work you in, Bob? And I just think that's so, it's so, um, it's so hard to do really well in content. And so co- I just, I really value just solid, amazing copywriting because I know how difficult that is. I do too. And I think that so much of the stuff that's out there, if you re- see billboard ads or, or, you know, other type of types of ads, there's just such a, a lack of enthusiasm to be bold to just say something funny or interesting. And it's like, like I always come back to the Creed joke where he's like, they're like, they're like Creed smells horrible. And he's like, <laughs> it's, it's true. I sprout mung beans under my death. They're delicious and nutritious, but they smell awful or whatever he said. Okay, Ryan, you told Toby that Creed has a distinct old man smell. I know exactly what he's talking about. I sprout mung beans on a damp paper towel in my desk drawer. Very nutritious, but they smell like death. Yeah. <laughs> like the, like the so funniest good. line. Um, but I'm like, it is that, that absurdity that makes his character so freaking hysterical. And like that absurdity is also the stuff that like stands out and stands out in your mind. It makes you want to click. The point of the ad is not to sell you a you know hundred thousand dollar software solution. The point of the ad is to get you to click and go to the next thing, right? 
Yeah. And you're in, like we, everybody talks about it. You're, we're in this noisy world where everyone's just scrolling really fast. And yep, I've got like, you've got whatever it is, less than a second. You just have no time. And yeah, so the bold and the funny and the anything that stands out, that's your chance. Like that's your only chance to get, to get noticed. You need people to see that and to stop and like, what did they say? What was that? And um, that's what we're all trying to get to. But it's such an important skill set that if you've got really solid copywriter on your team, like you're, you're just golden because that is so critical. So tell us a little bit about your content strategy for Crayon. You're the VP of content marketing. Obviously, you know, you, you had a career in comms. You've had a career in, in content now and, and worked for a bunch of different startups. So uh, going into this role, how do you think about building the strategy and how it's nested into the rest of your marketing priorities? Yeah, yeah. So I think when I think about building the content strategy for Crayon, it's, it's a similar approach. I mean, every company is different, so there's no two content strategies that are going to be exactly the same. But I think the, the initial approach is similar where I'm just trying to identify the prospect and, and where they are in terms of their problem awareness is sort of the step one. So are they unaware? You know, I forget the, the official name of the, the framework, but you know, there's unaware and problem aware and solution aware, product aware. So step one, like, do they even know that they have a problem? <laughs> Because if they don't, that's going to be a very different content that we need to create. And I think with Crayon, it was most of our prospects fall into that problem aware bucket where they know that they have a problem. They know that competitive intelligence is really manual. It's time consuming. People don't see sometimes the value in it. They have trouble getting like their sales reps to use some of the assets that they're creating but they weren't solution aware. They had that problem aware piece, but not the the solution or product aware. So they didn't know, hey, there's something out there that can solve for that. Did you know that there's a competitive intelligence platform? Like that was new to a lot of people. So once I think I figure out sort of where a prospect and where a potential customer is on that that problem awareness, where they fit, then it becomes, all right, what content do I need to create to address that? And then layering in, of course, like the overall company strategy too. If a company is like, we're trying to break into like the EMEA market, like that's going to be a big part of the content strategy. Okay, we're going to need to create content for this new market that we're trying to get into. But I think, yeah, right from the get-go, it's just what problem is the prospect trying to solve and where do they fall in terms of do they know that there is a solution out there? Do they know, yeah, that there's many solutions out there? Like, where do they fall within that? And then what do I need to create to help them? How do you think about the ROI of content marketing and, and building the business case for the things that you're creating? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of um, what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about content ROI is um, influence, the influence of content. So I'm really looking at, okay, we have all these accounts that have become opportunities or they've become closed one. And then what content did they interact with? Did they interact with content, first of all? And then what did they interact with? And that's so important because it shows that, you know, for a company like Crayon, we've got, you know, a pretty big buying committee, a bunch of people are involved. And so I can look at those accounts and say, look, two, two people attended our webinars. That was one of the, you know, 
that was one of the touch points on their journey with us. And they downloaded these templates. And that's really important because that showed them something that they needed around how to create better like product marketing messaging. And, and they found that valuable. And so just looking at, yeah, just content influence on our opportunities and on our closed one and seeing where content played a role in helping and helping people buy. What's working for you? The templates that I just mentioned is really, is really big for us. So we're in a market right now where when it comes to competitive intelligence in particular, it's still a fairly like nascent industry. There's not, not every company is doing competitive intelligence and it typically falls on a product marketer and it'll be like one part of their job. It'll be like, oh, in addition to product marketing launches and everything you need to do, like you also need to track and analyze our competitive landscape, which is a lot. So we tend to have a lot of product marketers that come to us and and look at our templates and like, oh, here's a here's a template for a battle card that you can give to your sales rep. Here's a template for competitive messaging. Here's a template for like how to create this competitive campaign. Like those are the types of things that they just eat up. Like they're just like, I'm kind of new to this space. I'm still in learning mode. So anything you can do to help me in my job is gonna is gonna be something that I value. So yeah, we look at our data and we look at like what content performs the best, what content gets, you know, downloaded or looked at the most. And it's always our it's always our templates. You know, it's so funny. I feel like now more than ever, and I don't know if if you feel the same way that in the current market, and I don't know if it's because people are kind of doing more with less, they want stuff done 100% for them. They're like, just give me the, the strategy, the tactic, the play, the template, and I just want to copy what you're doing. Like, if it's close enough as a fit to what, what we're, we want to do, I just want to copy it. Like, they don't want to do any work. Sales conversations are the same way, like, do all the work for me. And it's a little different than kind of, it has been in the past where I think people weren't quite as as needy, if that's the right word. Yeah. And I think you can get everything you need from <laughs> from the internet, from videos, from whatever. It's like we just know that there's if you there's a problem or if there's something you're trying to solve, it's like, well, somebody has done that and probably posted about it. And so I, I think about when we launched we launched something called Crayon Academy, where free online, it was a, a way for to get people associated with the crayon brand and to teach them about competitive intelligence. And we had just a ton of interest because yeah, I think people were like well, I didn't learn this in school, but somebody out there must have created something for me to learn from. And so that's why that did so well. And I think, yeah, templates can kind of fall in that similar realm where it's just like, okay, someone must have done this before and done this well. I'm sure I can find it out there. So yeah, I feel like we are pretty reliant now <laughs> on just that that fact that like it's probably out there. Someone has created it and it's probably a vendor potentially trying to try to sell you something eventually. But but yeah, there's a lot you can you can kind of piece together for for your marketing job just with what's with what other companies or other what other people have created. Any cool stuff on the horizon for for Crayon as, as it relates to your content or, or things that you're particularly proud of? Well, for me in particular, I'm doing a lot more customer marketing and applying some content to to our customers, which is a little bit of a different challenge and kind of fun. So one thing that we've started launching is we're just doing office hours where we're helping our customers and we're picking a topic, whether it relates to 
just sort of challenges that they're facing in their in their jobs and like trying to grow in their careers, or if it's just literally something on the product. And so I'm working with the customer success team right now to kind of identify like what are the things where our customers need help and what what content can we give to them. And so the office hours are fun because they're just they're more relaxed in terms of the you know it's just us and maybe. 30 or so customers and we're all just talking to each other and learning from each other. So that's been a fun, that's been a fun project. We just did something like that too. We did a bunch of customer interviews and like one of the big things that people wanted are like basically like pipeline plays for your podcast series. And so we just built like six of these plays and based off of feedback from our customers and like and other, and we've started, you know, giving them to our customers and people are just like, this is amazing. You know, it's just like, it's always go back to go back to your customers ask them questions make what they want you know it's it's a crazy it's like it's, it's the well that always gives a hundred percent like i love being on these office hours and hearing yeah you're hearing directly from them we did an office hours maybe like a couple of weeks ago and someone brought something up yeah that i just i just never heard before where they had a specific problem where i was kind of like oh okay they're it was related to how they're tracking their competitors but i was like oh i just I hadn't thought of that and I hadn't heard of that. And then, right, it's like, well, is anybody else having this issue? Is just this kind of related to their industry or, okay, if it's related to their industry or other customers in the industry having these problems? So, yeah, it, you're totally right. It's like you just make the time, make the time to talk to your customers and you get so much value out of it. Yeah, and then also ask them, hey, by the way, we want to tell your story too. And, and that is the best marketing you can possibly do. A hundred percent. Yeah. Especially when they're successful. <laughs> if they're doing well, I want to tell your story. Sheila, wonderful having you on the show. Thanks so much. We're excited to follow along uh, with everything that y'all are doing at Crayon. You can go to crayon.co if you want to learn more about company. Also, I should mention you have a podcast, Into the Fray, the competitive intelligence podcast that you did a bunch of uh, episodes there so people can check that out from from uh from last year any any final thoughts anything to plug one thing i can think of to plug we're about to release in in the new year we'll have our state of competitive intelligence report i love doing these research reports they're so valuable we get so much out of them and then we have amazing you know stats throughout the year that we can tell people about so that's coming up soon and we're doing the survey right now and we always get really good really good insight from our industry from that so excited for another state of competitive intelligence report awesome love those type of reports love them love them Michelle, thanks again and we will talk soon thank you so much closing time Every new beginning. I never heard that song before, and once I heard it, I did not care for it. But that song means it's time to go home. Now, it's my favorite song. Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Good night. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, 
and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.